the Podsky with John Baker. For over one year, the revolutionary force in audio entertainment. Oh yeah! Brother, let me talk to you! Freak out, freak out! I just had an out-of-body experience! Insane in the membrane! Brother, yeah! And I'm here for only one reason, and that's to take it to the limit, yeah! Somebody stop the damn man! Living on the edge! Who is your daddy? Welcome to the Podski. I'm your host, the man of a thousand gimmicks, Johnny Bake Show. It is episode 67. This is a very special one. We have a lot to get into today. We've been talking about this for a long time. The Podski 100 is finally here. We're going to unveil the first 10 today, 100 through 91. So uh, we have uh, some general disclaimers that we want to get out up front that's going to be done by uh, Justin Andretti and then we're going to get into how we came up with each one of our lists, and that's going to be um, myself, Andretti, JC, and Mongoose, and then we're all going to come back together Kumbaya style, and we're going to go over 100 through 91. So I'm very fired up for this show. It should be very, very fun. It should be very good. This is going to be something that we're going to continue to do in two weeks after we get through, we got hot shots that we're going to be doing. So we got hot shots every other week until Thanksgiving when we get to hot shots of mania. And then after that, we're going to continue zipping along with the whole list every week. So uh, we're going to be doing 100 through 91 today. In two weeks, we'll do 90 through 81. And then two weeks after that, we'll be doing 80 through 71. So, and then after that and so on and so forth, we're going to, once Hot Shots has concluded with Hot Shots and Mania, this is going to be an every week thing. And we're going to be counting that whole way down to number one. And we also have the Holiday Awards show. So if you're looking forward to what we're doing here on the Podski, on the main channel, we're going to have timestamps in here for you. So you can jump ahead if you want to, if you don't want to hear the disclaimers, the disclaimers are going to be something that we're going to have on every single show. Uh, we, we, for new listeners that are going to hop in as we're doing this, we want them to understand how we came up with our lists and everything like that. So we're going to have the disclaimers in every single show. So if you want to jump ahead, you can jump ahead. Also, if you are wanting to listen to this on YouTube, we're going to cut it up. We're going to put each individual entrant on the YouTube channel. So if you don't want to listen to the full podcast here in the whole form you can go to the youtube channel you're going to get the podsky 100 cut up and you can see individual what we said about each individual entrant and that's kind of how the way this is going to work so if you want to we, we really want people to check out the youtube so check out the youtube at the podsky uh like review and subscribe and also on uh, all the podcast platforms make sure you download rate review and subscribe it really helps out the channel so we thank you for listening and we have a lot of stuff planned, so we'll get into it with the overall disclaimers and how we came up with our list. So take it away, Andretti. The idea behind this was to do um, a, a kind of a Podski-wide event and try to get as many people involved in this that have been on the show as possible. And since all of us have so much different perspectives on things, and have different um, a different outlook on on different things and different generations and international talent and whatnot. 
Um, I really wanted to pull this together and have a top 100, but there were some there were some uh, requirements around that. So we started the top 100 with Hogan beating the Iron Sheik in 1984, in January of 1984. And we used that as the starting point because everything after that is different than everything before it. That was the beginning of the the begin the very beginning of sports entertainment when when Vincent Vincent Kennedy McMahon got his guy Hulk Hogan put the belt on Hulk Hogan it it started to transcend into WrestleMania one a year later two years later year and a half whatever um, to that rock and wrestling is what it ended up becoming right where it became a cultural sports entertainment phenomenon that took off from there and that that was a good benchmark I thought to use because everything that came before that was very different, very territory based. Uh, Vincent J. McMahon, you know, when he when he had everything, it was even the WWF was a regional territory. Um, and he probably would not have been super happy with what his, uh, his son was planning on doing with sports entertainment. So that's a really good place to start, I thought. Now, uh, what we also did not want to do um, is include people in this top 100 that had the bulk of their career the prime of their career prior to Hogan beating the Iron Sheik. So there's a lot of people that we're going to give some acknowledgements to here um, that probably should not be included in this list because here's a perfect example to grade Jerry Lawler based on his WWF run post 84 is probably not very, um, not very fair to him, right? To, to grade Harley race on being the King and not the stuff he did before 84 is not very fair to him. So we decided to, to disclude those people from this list and start with everything right when Hogan won the belt in 84. Uh, we tried to also keep ta uh, tag team guys off of this list. So if it was somebody who the, the bulk of their career was involved in tag teams, we tried not to include them. We tried to keep this just as singles. And we also didn't include women in this list either. Um, and we're going to do a women's list in the future. Um, at some point and probably tag teams too at some point. So we wanted to keep this just for men's singles with what we were doing. So we had four people come together to give a list of a top 100 on their own. And we gave everybody the individual freedom to come, to come up with their own criteria of how they came to their list. So it was myself, it was Baker, uh, JC and Mongoose all came up with their own criteria that they're going to talk about how they came to the, the conclusion of the top 100 for themselves. So then once we had those top 100s from all four of us, we came together with a point system and we gave everybody uh, a number based on where they were in each individual list. So as an example, and this is just a number in number off the top of my head. If, um, if uh, you know, Shannon Moore, okay, was, was number number one on somebody's list, they would get a hundred points, okay. And if uh, if uh, uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart was number fifty on somebody's list, they would get fifty points for that, right? And if in the the you know the number the number uh, one hundred person would get one point, right? So if that was if that was Evan Courageous, right <laughs> at, the, at the bottom of the list, he's going to get one point from that. So where those people were at in everybody's one through one hundred, all four of us had a one through one hundred. We gave everybody points based on where they were in those four lists. Okay. The most amount of points a person could possibly get would then be 400 points. So we took the top 100 points, points winners throughout the uh, course of those four lists to create our combined list of 100.
so how I came up with my list, I took a list of 500 wrestlers and I kind of, that was my baseline so that I kind of knew kind of where to start. And if I, that way I could kind of dwindle down from there and I kind of started, I, I knew I had a top 20 that I wanted for sure. And that top 20 drastically changed after I got my list of 100 and I had to take a lot in and a lot out, but I, I like to, the way I kind of graded people out was um, kind of where they were in the business, what they um, match quality, at least from what, uh, you know, I can remember watching a few matches and just kind of overall what they meant to the business and whether or not they should actually be on the list or not. Like when I think of somebody who is a top 100 wrestler, like do they actually deserve to be on that list? And that is based off of, uh, you know, accomplishments that they had, um, wrestling style, character work. I really kind of base a lot of mine off character work because I felt like that was a really big part of it outside of in-ring work. And that's how I came up with my list. So for my 100, the measuring stick that I used first was the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And the reason for that is that I believe that it is possibly the truest Hall of Fame that we have in sport. Uh, the NFL and the NBA Hall of Fames have become the Hall of Very Good. And the Baseball Hall of Fame has pretentious writers that either won't vote in somebody that should unanimously, unanimously be voted in simply because they don't want him unanimously voted in. Uh, they will vote in people that have been involved in the steroid era without voting for other people that are significantly better players with or without drug suspicions. Um, and so because of that, I do feel that the Observer Hall of Fame made up of um, writers, made up of journalists, historians, um, current and former wrestlers. Uh, and it's also regional too. Uh, so you have what is to me, the truest measuring stick of actual greatness in your sport. It's not easy to get to. Uh, if you look at the list of who is in the Observer Hall of Fame, it is literally a who's who, and not in the way that you know we could say that, yeah, Michael Jordan's a Hall of Famer, um, but you know, I'm sure that uh, Antoine Walker will be someday too, you know, and that's not happening in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Edge isn't in there, uh, CM Punk isn't in there, at least not yet. Um, same for Edge. Randy Orton's not in there. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts isn't in there. You know, there's a lot of people that you can look. Jim Helwig isn't in there. You, there's a lot of people you can look up and down and say, oh, these are the greatest of all time. And they didn't cut the mustard. And so you were not allowed to be ranked ahead of anybody in the Observer Hall of Fame in my top 40 uh, or top 45-ish, uh, I guess I should say. Unless you were Will Ospreay or Roman Reigns, which will be first ballot Hall of, Hall of Famers themselves. Um, so that was where I started. So my first half of my list is all strictly Observer Hall of Fame guys. And then from there, uh, what I did was I basically looked at people that I thought moved the needle. I thought that, um, you know, whenever you'd said about character development, whenever you'd said about uh, ring work, of course, all those things count. But I also uh, wanted to take a look and try to objectively say, uh, like, so if I have a, a new guy, like a John Moxley, right, um, where does he compare to a Lex Luger? And the answer is way above. And the reason for that is that John Moxley, while he doesn't have the look that Luger did, um, 
he has everything else. He has the same, if not more, charisma. Um, his promos, to me, are better. He's better in the ring. Um, he's had a string of championships across multiple promotions. Uh, and he's a guy that has high match quality. And so just using that little comparison right there, um, that was sort of how I put everything together. Now, do I always have new guys ahead of old guys? Absolutely not. I have soft spot in my heart uh, that I had to try to back off whenever, um, you know, ranking all these people. Uh, but, you know, bringing objectivity into it was the most challenging thing because, you know, there are people that we all have our favorites and we all have our not favorites. And so it's really tough to say guy that I never liked and not because he's a heel, but like he didn't do it for me is better than guy that I did. Um, but hey, man, this is what making lists are all about. So this was a lot of fun. And that was how I put mine together. So when I did my top 100, I broke everything out by um, by six categories. And I ranked everybody one through 10 in each of the six categories. And one thing that really helped me when I was going through and putting the, the, the one through 10 grades in was I came up with a baseline um, where everybody was. So I found somebody who was kind of, you know, between one and 10, if they were a five or a six, I would kind of use them as a baseline uh, to see who was higher than them or who was lower than them based on the six categories. So the six categories I had, the first one I used was placement. And that was kind of where they were actually featured within the, within the, um, within the cards, right. Or over the course of time um, in ring, obviously was one of them. That's kind of actual talent, whether or not they look like they know what they're doing um, accomplishments, what they've done, of course, and that can be anything from observer awards to, um, to, to championships and multiple promotions, whatnot over the course of their whole career. Um, the next one I had was legacy. And that was kind of what they meant to the industry, who they kind of inspired, kind of what their, um, what their reputation was. Uh, the next one was a length and consistency. And that was just kind of like a, like a longevity thing um, to, to see kind of where were they over the course of time um, after the, um, the January of 84 timeline, if, if they were kind of, mm -hmm. you know, still, still a high placement at that point. And then the, the last one I had was promotional importance, um, a little bit different than placement. Uh, promotional importance is something, you know, to the effect of how how important are they to the promotion, right? Are they somebody who's who's like the face of the promotion or are they somebody who is like a workhorse in the promotion or are they someone who just gets beat all the time and doesn't really matter, right? So those were the six categories that I had and I gave everybody a ranking between between one and ten. Um, most of people, most of the people were a five and above, um, cause I wanted to keep it, I wanted to keep it pretty, um, you know, pretty realistic. Anybody below a five really didn't, wouldn't even be on the list. Right. But, um, uh, then I graded everybody, uh, all the numbers up across the six categories into an overall score and then filtered that. And then that gave me my, um, my top 100 from there. Um, but then I had ties, obviously I had people who had tied scores and I had to go back in and kind of figure out what I wanted to use as a tiebreaker. And a lot of times I would just use accomplishments for that. Again, I'd look at their accomplishments versus each other. So if somebody, if two people had like a 68, I would go in and look at both those people's accomplishments and I would kind of, I would kind of just figure out from there um, who was going to be on top and who was going to be on the bottom of, of that. So that's how I came, how I came to my top 100 for myself. All right. So, for my list, you took a very analytical approach, uh, having listened to you talk about how you did yours. Mine was a little bit more organic, you being a little bit longer tenured of a fan than I am. Um, I needed some help going through some names, so I looked up some general lists of, you know, people they considered the top 100 of all time, you know, 84, you 
you know, prior to 84, after 84. So there was some differences there. And then I tried to filter it all through my lens and into a tiering system. So I had like your S tier, your A tier, your B tier, your C and D. Um, so, and then I tried to establish like who I thought was the best of each tier and then work around that. And my, the criteria that I used for that was popularity. So like their overall overness or my perception of that, um, if it was something I wasn't as familiar with. Um, the number, length, and general importance of their title reigns. Um, now that could be upper card, mid card, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and some of them don't, you know, they might not have had any meaningful kind of title, but that plays into it. Uh, longevity was a big one for me. Um, so how long have they been doing it? Like, it, you know, and Austin was on top at a very hot time, but it wasn't a long run. Um, and then general contributions I also thought were important. So I broke that down sort of by innovations they brought to wrestling. Um, an example of this would be like the ultimate deletion. So that sort of thing that was cinematic universe, those sort of things would be a little bit different. Uh, one thing I thought was very important was, especially for the top end guys that put this in as a way to differentiate a little bit who they made um, as far as, you know, the next star after them. Um, and then just, you know, some general kind of stuff, like if they did, you know, if they headlined some kind of really crazy special show or, um, anything like that, if they were a booker at some point, those I took into consideration as well. So as I went through there, um, I just tried to place similar talents in similar tiers or people I thought were similar talents in similar tiers, um, and I tried to expand my list, like I had a list, um, but it felt skewed towards North American and like Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression, and a little bit of today. I tried to back away from Stars of the Day as much. Um, so I went and tried to expand my reach a little bit and understand a little bit more of like Japanese stars of like the early, mid and late 90s. Uh, and so in the early 2000s, some of those sort of things where I'm not as knowledgeable and intelligible. Um, so I tried a little bit, it's going to skew towards what I know, and that is what it is. That's why these lists work, because it's a different perspective. Um, but that was sort of how I ended up trying to come to this, was the, my sense and then the tiering system, doing a little bit of research and trying to filter it all through those criteria. I'm super excited for this uh, Podski 100. We have, like you had mentioned, we have acknowledgments. So uh, do we want to go over some of these uh, names that did not make it onto the list for various reasons as they were prior to uh, our cutoff date or that they had a run kind of maybe later in their career that kind of doesn't really count? Yeah, I think we can go through a, a, a giant list of people that would probably make a number a number 100, a top 100 of all time. Um, there's there's a lot of people that could be on that list. So, so I have a big list here. It's in no order, of course. Uh, Antonio Inaki obviously would be on that list. Harley Race, Jerry Lawler, Carlos uh, Colon, Wahoo McDaniel, Ken Patera, Mil Mascaris, Jim Londos, El Santo, Blue Demon, Carl Lagarde, Ray Mendoza, Ray Stevens, Killer Kowalski, Giant Baba, 
uh, Baron Von Rasky, Gorgeous George, Wilbur Snyder, Billy Graham, Bob Backlund, Bruno San Martino, Ivan Koloff, Vern Gagne, Luthez, Dory Funk, Gory Guerrero, Dick the Bruiser, Blackjack Mulligan, Mr. Wrestling 2, Jay Strongbow, Larry Henning, Billy Robinson, Pat Patterson, The Original Sheik, Nick Bockwinkle, Ernie Ladd, Jack Briscoe, Larry Zabisco, Buddy Rogers, Stan Stasiak, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobo Brazil, Dick Hutton, Pat O'Connor, Ricky Dozen, Whipper Watson, Angelo Poffo, Don Eagle, Gene Kaniski, Antonino Rocca, Edward Carpentier, Ed the Strangler Lewis. Now, look, there's going to be people that are not on that list that, that, would, that we just forgot in the moment um, that we would include in a, in a top 100 of all time. But again, we started this with Hogan winning that belt against the Iron Sheik in January of 1984. Correct. And literally those names that are on there, those are some of the who's who of the wrestling business like of all time. And you know, we wanted to make sure they got their flowers. They were acknowledged. Um, but yeah, you got anything, uh, Mongoose, you want to say before we hop into our list? Andre, did you say Pimpiro Furpo? No, but we need to. There we go. That was it. That's all. Like you know, just like to to run through to run through a list like that. I was you know sort of running through a mental checklist right there. Shouts to Pimpiro Furpo, man. All right. So today we're gonna go over. 100 to 91 this is our very first installment of the podski 100 and get a little drum roll here for number 100 and it is sergeant slaughter he came in with 49 points jc gave him the most love he was number 52 on jc's list and what a way to start us off here at Sergeant Slaughter, at least from my deepest memories of Sergeant Slaughter, has got to be WrestleMania seven and all of that, all of that build uh, with Hogan. But um, let's say you guys, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys think about old Sergeant? Yeah, I, I I think so too. I mean, that guy had to be sweating bullets over that Iraqi turn, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much money they paid him to do that. It had to be a ridiculous amount of money, but just the fact that you're just walking around with a target on your back after being so pro-America for all those years and going up against Hogan and get it mania, they flipped it, you know, they flipped the belt to him um, at the rumble that year to, to make, to set up the, the, uh, the Hogan match of mania, which was, uh, you know, it was not a great time in the, uh, in the industry at that point. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, with, with that Hogan and slaughter match, Interesting that Slaughter makes this list because I, uh, growing up, had a handful of VHS tapes that were the, um, do you remember the, and you wouldn't, John, because you weren't born yet, but uh, Andretti, do you remember the um, the compilation VHSs that you would get, the Coliseum video ones? Oh, absolutely. Um, and so one of mine was WrestleMania's Greatest Moments, and I watched a thousand times um, Hulk Hogan giving slaughter the leg drop with that Iraqi flag draped over top of him or whatever. Um, and I didn't see that, that mania live, you know, that was a year before that I started to really, really get secondhand tapes and everything. Um, but that, that memory is huge for me. Uh, the Sergeant slaughter has bro. That was one of, you know, that was one of my initial, my initial uh you know probably 20 30 guys that formed the fed um 
And the, uh, the one thing about Sergeant Slaughter is that I always coveted the GI Joe. Uh, and even though I wasn't a GI Joe collector, um, because he was a wrestler that my friends that had it, I was always uber, uber jealous of it. Um, and so kudos to him for being a you know, cultural icon in that sense, man. You had the cartoon, you had the, the, um, you know, that, that GI Joe figure is great. Uh, and then he was able to, you know, after that whole Iraqi, uh, what, what was the face turn? What Matt, was that a, was it, was it before that eight man tag or was it after the eight man tag? I remember, I specifically remember him being a huge baby face in an eight man tag that might've been, it might've been like a SummerSlam. I don't think it was a survivor series, but he, so you know what it had, to, the turn had to be before then because he was on a team with like Tito Santana and like everybody that was as white meat as they come Virgil. I almost guarantee you Virgil's on that team. Uh, and so you know, those are my, my young Sergeant Slaughter memories. And then character work, man. Look, dude, he was great as a commish. He was. He was great. And I absolutely loved him being in that Stooge Brigade. So, you know, good on him for all that. And I, th I think, too, just a, it's such a it's such an iconic character when you think about that golden era of the 80s with, with WWF. Um, I mean, hats off to that guy, man. I mean, for, he really he really created such a long time memorable character that almost everybody knows who Sergeant Slaughter is. Right. I mean, he's got to be in the top 10. He's probably the top 10 of, of people that everybody kind of knows who Sergeant Slaughter is, but um, you know, he's a guy that had a figure in every major line. Right. I mean, he had a, uh, he had the LJN, he had the, he had the Hasbro, he had the commissioner in the bone cruncher era. He had elites. I mean, that's a pretty impressive thing to do. Um, I mean, everybody, everybody remembers, everybody remembers the turn, right? The, 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 the Iraqi turn. That's the first thing everybody's going to think of, but you know, that, that rumble match in 91 um, with the ultimate warrior, I mean, on paper, it probably doesn't sound like the greatest match in the world. I mean, and look, it's not, it's not a five-star classic by any means. That match is better than people give it credit for. And, and I, I do encourage people to go back and check that out. I found that eight man tag. It was WrestleMania eight. So it was the next year. And he teamed with Duggan, Virgil, and the Big Boss Man versus the Nasty Boys, the Mountie, and the Repo Man. Oh, my gosh. I hope all of them are on the rest. Of so as heel in his face as it could possibly be. Not, th not just did they turn Slaughter face. They put him with the faciest faces versus the heeliest heels. Do you know what I'm saying? So, And, and I'm fairly certain that Slaughter gets the win in that one. I might be mistaken, but I think that I think somebody gets the Cobra Clutch. I'm sure they did. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if and, you, if, uh, and if it wasn't the finish, it was after the bell. You know what I mean? They, yeah, he, gave, yeah. he gave him the old the old one after the bell to pop the crowd. Um, the um, if you if you're looking for a Sergeant Slaughter match, that's kind of when he was a baby face right in that era. He takes on the Iron Sheik uh, in a boot camp match um in in uh june of 1984 that match is on youtube and those guys kill each other <laughs> it's very physical there's blood they're in there just beating the crap out of each other slaughter's bumping around he's moving really well i mean it, you can, people people don't realize either i mean for him being a pretty big guy that guy was pretty agile he's probably an underrated guy in terms of athleticism so hats off to him man he had a he had an unbelievable career in the WWF and made a lot of money doing it in various roles. And it's, it's pretty impressive. Great entrant into uh, the Podski 100 out. 100. Uh, oh, 
do want to note really quick that his most famed match, I I believe, is pre-cutoff. But if it's not, it's close. Um, and I've never seen it, but I've heard a million things about it, is that he has like a street fight or an alley fight or something against Pat Patterson that's supposed to be the thing of legend. So maybe 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 add that to your weekend watch list. Sure. I, I you know, I think that um looking at that now, I haven't really been into figure collecting for a little while because we moved into a house and it's been, you know, expensive to do those things. But <laughs> you know, with the uh I, I really do think that the the slaughter LJN in 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 good condition is probably my grail piece at this point as a collector. And I, I can honestly say that. Yeah, I the, the one thing I wanted to put over is the elite that came out or the ultimate that came out a couple years ago that was the san diego comic-con exclusive uh, i have that one in the collection it's it's one of the best ultimates that they've ever done the only thing i wish that was different about it is that it had the double jointed elbows but i absolutely love that figure what a great character man just for the way he jumped into that role and, and just owned every second of it and made it feel like it was a real thing just awesome hats off to him man. yes Dude, he, he owned it so much that he kayfabed the country into thinking that he actually was a drill yes. sergeant. Yes, that's how great With no military right. service. It's so good. That, that, that's that's the crazy part, is that people found out and he was and he was like he was like almost disgraced by it. You know what I mean? Like you're in a fake industry and he had to he had to be disgraced by by kayfabe and you think the thing about the thing about Slaughter Two Man is when you look at that golden age of the '80s with the WWF, they've got so many awesome, defined, different characters that are in that company at the same time. And for Slaughter to, to still be one of those guys that stands out above almost everybody in people's memories and, and in pop culture is amazing. I absolutely agree. So when I was looking at my list and I was thinking of, you know my tiers and where I could put people in these tiers. Um, the easiest one was thinking of like the top guys, uh, Flair, Michaels, Hogan, Sting, uh, those sorts of things. And then you, you start to filter down and, you know, I, I obviously he's um, kind of associated with Hogan, at least for my recollection of it. And I know he did some things before and, and had a uh, match with Warrior that was high profile, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I, for me, I was thinking about it today in preparation for this. And he, he's more of a cultural icon. He crossed over into other things. And that was sort of bringing them back. Like he was with the G.I. Joes and he had a ton of merchandise with them and he had a ton of exposure and bringing them back to, you know, uh, WWF, WWE. Um, so, and you think about the toys, like uh, that was the, the LJN and things like that. That was, so sort of that working, having enough of a background and being, you know, a, a good wrestler uh, for the era and a character, more importantly, especially when you think about the, um, I want my country back and the turn and all that stuff. Um, but then also being sort of a cultural uh, driver as well and bringing eyes from other things. And I mean, you can even look at it today. He's still doing conventions. He's still signing. He's 
still a very big part of that wrestling lexicon um, of being Slaughter. Like, I mean, they even resurrected part of his gimmick to try and get Lacey Evans over. I mean, nothing was going to get her back over, but, you know, whatever. Um, so I think in that regard, that's why he kind of made my list, that sort of overall impact um, and being a part of the wrestling lore and lexicon. All right, so heading into number 99. Number 99 is Masahiro Chono. And that is what Mr. Andretti had him at 52 as well on his list. So he came in with 49 points as well. And I remember Masahiro Chono from WCW. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you take it away because you uh, had him on your list, Andretti. Yeah, I, look, Chono's a guy that I, I I just fell in love with him during the WCW run, the NWO run. It's just a bad, just a bad dude, man. He came out, he just looked so cool when he came out, and he had uh, you know Sonny Ono was with him during that time. You know, he just when he came on the screen, he just was such a villain, and he fit that role so well. I mean, that was a guy that really came into his own. Um, when he finally decided to go heel, when he was in when he was in New Japan and he went heel with that character, um, is when he really started to come into his own. But uh, you know, most of us were familiar um, with um, with Chono based on the WCW run, the limited WCW run. And I remember, man, I, I remember being a kid, you know, being like you know late um, late mid to late nineties, whenever Chono was there. I guess I wasn't really a kid, but I was kind of a teenager at that point. But um, I remember watching the um, the WCW B shows at the time um just to see chono man and i i just i just was captivated by this guy for some reason you know the the finisher was so awesome that was a big very physical guy man you know and, and looking back on that from my own standpoint um you know he's he's really the reason why i wanted to start getting into international wrestling because you know i i i was never a tape trader growing up nothing like that um but to, to, to hear about these people, you hear names, you know, you hear names thrown around, but you always heard about Masahiro Chono. And then to see that guy come on screen as a larger than life character, that was a guy that really made me want to start getting into um, specifically Japanese wrestling. Um, look, I, I love Great Muda. You know, when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, I loved the Great Muda, of course, spitting the mist, everything. You guys fantastic. But, um, you know, when I kind of got into my fandom is really when, um, Chono made his mark on me and left a big impression on me as a as an impressionable fan for sure. Yeah, and some uh, some accolades for him, Wrestling Observer newsletter wise, uh, he won the Best Heel Award in 1995, Best Gimmick uh, for NWO, uh, and he was a Observer Hall of Fame inductee in 2004. Yeah, and that, look, you talk about the New Japan stuff that this guy's done. I mean, we're talking about a, a New Japan heavyweight champion, champion. It's kind of crazy to think about that. That Chono was such a staple of that company and, and only held, only really held the the main title one time. I mean, look, seven time tag team champ with with uh, with Kenji Muto, obviously the great Muta, and for Hiroshi Tenzan, you know, the, he, seven times he was champion, NWA World Heavyweight Champion. The guy really was a G one guy. Um, just Mr. G1, right? He was Mr. G1. So he ended up winning the climax, you know, five different times. He won the G1 in 91, 92, 94, 
2002, 2005. I mean, that is just an unbelievable run. That The G1 Climax is, is the best tournament in, in wrestling, you know, and for him to be able to pull that off and win that five times throughout the course of his career is, is awesome. And also to to piggyback off what you said, he won the G1 Tag League in 2006 with Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, yeah, the guy, the guy who had a an unbelievable career, even way into way into the um, you know the mid the mid aughts at that point. I, I tried to find, it's a shame, man. I I tried to find that I tried to find the Nakamura match in two thousand five, um, the G one match with with Chono and Nakamura. But you know that that New Japan World website is impossible to navigate. <laughs> and I was I was complaining to Mongoose earlier about this, but I was trying to find that match on the um on on New Japan World and just couldn't even find it. You know, but I, I did find um the 2005 match, G1 match with Vegeta. You know, really good match. It was only nine minutes. But if you're looking for something and you've got a New Japan World subscription, I would recommend you go and, and check that out for sure. Um, the other one I wanted to say, you know, we're all we're all very familiar with with Kenji Muto, you know, the great Muda. Everybody knows great Muda. Um, but there, the, the G1 final from 91, I watched that a couple of times over the last couple last couple of weeks or, or days to get in preparation for this. You know, I've, obviously I've seen that match a couple of times, but um, look, man, those guys tear the house down. So if you're if you're looking for something awesome to watch this weekend to kind of get you acclimated to, to Masahiro Chono. I would recommend you go check out that G1 final from 91 with, uh, with Mudo. Um, or if you got, you know, you're short on time and you want to go watch a, a good match the, the 2005 G1 with Fujita is only nine minutes. I would check that out too. And, 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 and I just want to, I, I should have added this to my initial disclaimers, but I will say now that um, Chono is one of these guys that fits into um, my, my cutoff was if I didn't see you, I didn't rank you. And it was only because I didn't want to rank you wrong. Does that make sense? And, and so Chono to me, um, sure. I know Chono versus Jericho from that first sold out show, right? The, the, the NWO, you know, the all, the all black and white, the, the Miss NWO pageant, all that other jazz. Um, and so that's where I, I remember Chono and, I know he was an Observer Hall of Famer. Like I saw all this stuff, um, but I didn't want to put him in somewhere when I only could ever really recall one match. Could I have done homework? Absolutely. Do I have a job, wife, and kid? Yeah. You know, and it's and the thing about it is it's the kid that takes up all the time. You know what I'm saying? Because once I start to watch something, um, if it doesn't have uh, Judas or Adam Cole's song playing, um, then I'm watching uh, Spirit Halloween walkthrough videos because she doesn't care about what I'm doing. So I, you know, I, could, I didn't have a chance to give old, uh, old, old Masahiro his due, but he he deserves to be in the top 100. I'm glad he made it. All right, so we will move on to so number 98 comes in with Rick Martell. The model Rick Martell comes in with 50 points and he was on uh, myself. He was on my list and he was on Mongoose's list. So he came in at 84 on my list and he came in at 68 on Mongoose's list. So look at Mongoose giving him the high rating. I'm ashamed of myself because he's one of my probably top 10 favorite guys. And when I, this is, this is what has been really challenging about this too, is that you've got your own, you got your favorites, right? You got people that you're, you're rooting for people to get in. Right. And, but it's so hard to just be so objective about it. 
Um, Mark, if I would have, if we would have done a top 125, it would have covered everybody that I love, right? But we we cut it off at 100, and and there were people that I just had ahead of them that I couldn't, I I just in my head couldn't justify it because I knew I was going to be a homer if I did. Um, but I, I am so glad that you guys put him on those lists and he was able to to sneak into the to top 100. Absolutely, yeah, he was a three-time WWF tag team champion. Uh, they he, he was in the tag team tournament with Tom Zink in 87. He was also a WCW uh, television champion. Uh, he was in Stampede Wrestling. He was kind of all over. So um, I am a huge fan of Rick Martel. The, we just, one of the matches that I wanted to put over was one that we just talked about recently here on the show was the one from SummerSlam 92 with Shawn Michaels. And I loved that match. Um, just, I, I haven't, Personally, I haven't seen all of the model stuff, but I, after, you know, kind of seeing bits and pieces, it makes me just want to go back and watch so much more of him. And uh, I, I just really felt that he deserved a place on the, on the 100. Yeah. Mongoose, I know that SummerSlam match has got a big place in your heart, but the, the that's one of my top, that's probably in my top 10. That's probably my top 10 favorite matches. Yeah. And, and so I have him so high uh, for three reasons. Um, the first one is the blindfold match. Uh, dude, it's it's not a good match, but it's an iconic match, right? And, and, and so if, if you say blindfold match to a wrestling fan, they're going to know what you're talking about. They have sacks over their head, you know, they're doing the feeling it out. It, so it, it's iconic in that way. Um, that SummerSlam feud with Sean, where you couldn't punch each other in the face and all of that around it was great. Um, and the other reason, well, as you know, what, four reasons, uh, because these, these three are WWF ones. The third one is that that Tatanka feud, dude, where he sprayed arrogance at Tatanka's face and he started wearing the feathers around with his little, um, you know, beret, uh, was so great because that was in the midst of the Tatanka undefeated run. And, you know, he really, really did a wonderful job of being in, being this like, not a final boss, but a level boss for Tatanka. Uh, and so when he got his comeuppance, it was great. Um, and he made my my top almost third because of the WCW run. Look, man, everybody yeah, thought he was done, and he was very, very good when he came back. Dude, in, that in guy the, was, in the late he 90s. was fantastic yeah. into, the, into the late yep. 90s. He was still one of the best workers yep. in the world at that point. Yep. And so I, I, I would have been remiss in not putting him on there because uh, when I think of wrestling, I think of those guys. And, and again, you know, I, I gave my thing before that he, he wasn't, he wasn't top tier to me, but he was, he was up there for the second tier, you know, whenever, I, whenever I look at those, the tier two guys. And so the fact that he made it is all that I cared about. And so bless the child, Rick, you did it. I, I would say the WWE hall of fame is going to, it's overdue for him. I mean, for for a guy that was three time tag team champ, um, and was just a, a such a, a great heel, up, upper mid card heel for them for a long time, it's a guy that should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And you know, I don't know what his relationship is with them though, because he had that one Legends figure that literally had the "I'm a model" thing on it, um, and that's worth that's a, a billion dollars now. Uh, and I think that it's a billion dollars because you ain't getting that. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be signing legends deal anytime soon, unless Jeremy Pradauer yeah. shakes him down in a urinal somewhere. 
So speaking speaking of that WCW run that you mentioned, I mean, he did win the TV title at one point. He was WCW TV yeah, champion. Yes. And and I I didn't I did not have this match written down, but I remember him having a really good match with Booker T in the late nineties. That was that was on Nitro, I believe. It was fantastic. So if you're looking for a match there, go check that out. The other match I wanted to put over, um, obviously Martel was the AWA World Heavyweight Champion. I mean, I think most people know that, but I mean, I, I don't know how good. I don't know how good AWA was at that point, but I, I watched the Hanson match last night. Um, I found it on on um, on YouTube. It was from uh, October of '85. Now, actually, it was that's not that's not right. It was yeah, actually, it was from '85. It was from 1985. It was AWA Super Clash. They had it in an outdoor stadium, kind of the the first <laughs> first like stadium stampede. Dude, that match is five minutes long. Him and Hanson are in the crowd. They're in the dugout. They're killing each other. It's plywood all over the ground. I mean, it's. It's just a, it's a mess, but you know Martel, fantastic worker, man. I mean, an, an unsung hero of pro wrestling for the for the last twenty five years. I mean, actually more than that, probably forty years at this point. But uh, I mean, that shows you how old I am. I don't even I don't even know what year it is. I still think it's two thousand ten. But um, it's it, awesome. What a, what a great what a great uh, what a great worker that guy was. Heel and face for sure. No, the, the, last, the last thing I needed to say, because I got to my big feuds, and that, that one with Tatanka was the huge one because of those feathers hanging off his thing. Um, but uh, when I was uh, when I was a Ute, I got in a lot of trouble because um, the Boston Crab was a move that I was able to do to my six-year-old sister whenever I was uh, eight or nine years old. And so whenever when – when well, yeah, right, right, right. And whenever I'd sit back on that thing, man. Um, yeah, yep, yep. Got I got I got hit with the slipper a couple of times. I would that say one. that she deserved it then and probably deserves it now. Exactly, exactly, dude. Exactly. And and I didn't I couldn't believe how easy it was once once I was able to apply it. The the sharpshooter took me a minute to figure out. The figure four was even tougher, but I'll tell you what, um I won't name him just in case he's not a fan, but a former homie, uh, he was, uh, we were, we were, we were at the, the brother, uh, the brother Abe's house, uh, as, as, as children. Um, and I think it was, we just went to a, a live concert, like all over you, all over me live, you know what I'm talking about from York. Um, and, uh, we came home and, um, we spent the night at his house. And before we went to school the next morning, uh, I, I slapped the figure four in this kid and he screamed bloody murder, man. I put it on tight. Uh, and so that was whenever I found out that like, yeah, you could stretch some ligaments that way. Yeah. That was 11. I mean, who among us hasn't put a friend or a relative in the walls of Jericho, Boston crab, etc. That was, you, right yeah, Rick Martell, you were my gateway to putting submissions onto other people and making them feel real pain. Thank you, Rick Martell, for <laughs> teaching the mongoose how to do that. Yeah, thank you, Rick Martell, for doing. That. <laughs> uh, all right, so number uh, ninety-seven, coming in with fifty-one total points, we have Kevin Sullivan. He was on JC's list at ninety-six, and he was pretty high on my list at fifty-five. And I love me a little bit of the Taskmaster. Uh, he, the three faces of fear versus, uh, the dungeon of doom, him doing all of that stuff. It, it's not saying that it's all good not saying that, you know, it, it, it's, it's 
Hall of Fame worthy stuff. But to me, it's such good shit that I love it. Uh, and just he just did so much good stuff. And the one thing, you know, he he was also booking at the time. I felt like I had to add points on to that uh, just because he was booking and working at the same time. Uh, he's very well known for you know he some of the things that he did prior to our list. You know, he was working uh, with Dusty in Florida as learning how to get heat and all that. And he really brought that to WCW. Um, and the at least matches that a match that I want to put out there is the one with that him and Chris Benoit beat the absolute living tar out of each other on that bash each. I can't remember. Is that 96? They had a couple. They had a couple of those matches. I, there was one San Francisco death match from Super Brawl 97. Yeah, the, I know that the Bash at the Beach one was the one where they were actually shoot hitting each other because of Nancy. So uh, I I personally love that. I thought it's fantastic. He he may be you may think he's a little high on my list, but I you know, I I just felt because he did the booking and the working at the same time, I had to give him I had to give him a little bit of his due on that end. Varsity Club is great because that was, it wasn't the Steiners. It was Rotunda and, um, oh my gosh, Andretti, give me the other one. It was Rotunda and because they were the Varsity Boys and he was the evil Satanist that was making them love the devil and not football. Oh my God, I'm on it. I'm on it. I got you, brother. And that was kind of where I was at too with it. Um, I mean, obviously he played early with, you know, in the Hogan era in WCW, he played a role with that. He was also with um, the Sky, the Steiner, uh, sorry, first day with my new mouth, the Steiner brothers uh, with the Varsity Club, or not, I'm sorry. Um, so Dr. Was, was, was it Dr. Death and Rotunda? That was a long day. <laughs> my brain's, or is he with Varsity Club? I get, I get it. Okay, because I, I, I knew that, I knew Rotunda was one of them. It was uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. I was thinking, I was thinking the WCW run, uh, anyway. But so not only that as a singles guy, but as like a pseudo manager. And then what really drove him on the list for me was he was in that booking kind of nebulous that they had uh, in WCW's hot years. Um, I know, I know, Mongoose has got the Dungeon of Doom really close to his heart. So you wanna, you wanna riff a little bit on the Dungeon of Doom? So I got three things to say really quick. The first one is that upstairs in my drawer is an airbrushed shirt that has Kamala, uh, Shark, and um, Zodiac on the front. And on the back, it says Dungeon of Doom. It says Dungeon of Doom with a heart around it. Um, So that's thing one. Uh, It's one of the best shirts I've ever seen. Yeah. Is that a Stash Pages classic? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Huge Stash Pages, Thing two is that um, the Dungeon of Doom, man – I should also say that it is my it's my fantasy league football team name in the um, the uh, the 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 family related to Andretti, whose name rhymes with Flarunic. Um, I I'm the Dungeon of Doom in there. My name is the Taskmaster. Uh, my my uh, image is Kevin Sullivan talking to. Um, you know, the great high chief, whatever his name was, uh, those vignettes where Hogan all of a sudden was just in a dark and terrible nether realm. What are we doing, man? 
like I'm 11 and I'm buying it. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how did Hulk get here? Yeah, it's all in, yeah. all in. <laughs> yeah, how did how did he get here, man? Like, what happened? And now, like, I'm looking and I'm like, so we did we send Hulk interdimensionally? Was the dungeon in in like deepest darkest Antarctica? Where was the? We don't know, man. But all I know is that that uh, one dude sat there and just goes, "Oh, that's yeah, Prince Ikea's dad, King Ikea. That's who that was." Plus the child, man. <laughs> and so it's it's just so great. I couldn't think of what they called him at the, whenever I was saying that. So I was avoid saying his name. But him being all just dusty, crusty, just like looked like he was covered in chalk. Um, that was so awesome, man. And so, yes, the Dungeon of Doom, it means a lot to me. It really, really does, especially because um, when, when you said, John, that you gave him extra points for being the booker and immediately i was like oh john's giving him points for immediately saying hey we have hulk hogan let's book him versus the devil which is what they did man they just put hulk versus satan they absolutely kevin sullivan who renowned hey i'm gonna play a satanist guy on tv was like you know how we get never said it never said no no it was just it was just implied implied right right uh, so you know how we get Hulk over? We have him face Satan. Um, and and he went as far as to paint paint horns on his eyebrows. Um, and, and for those reasons, man, I do have a lot of respect for Kevin Sullivan. He didn't make my 100 list. Talking about all this, maybe I should have had him in the top 30. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I screwed up here. Um, but the one match that everybody needs to see is the um uh oh my gosh is it's dungeon of doom give me one second is it is it a war games match on the chamber of horrors i think no i think that it's a war games yeah yeah it's no, the war no, ga- no, it's no, the war no, games the and i just want to make sure it's the war games where all of the baby faces are dressed in fatigues and military stuff and it's Hogan and it's Luger and it's Sting. So look, man, I don't even know if that match is good. I remembered it being one of the greatest things I ever saw, but it can't be. I can yeah, make it. Yeah, I can it play can, some it can't hold up. But I'm telling you, <laughs> if if you want to smile and have a good time, it was. Um, let me go see what this War Games was. Ninety five. Fall Brawl ninety five. There you go. So that's my recommendation. Go watch Fall Brawl ninety five and have yourself a good time. I've I've got I've got a couple notes here on matches that I watched over recently for Kevin Sullivan. So the San Francisco death match is Super Brawl 97. Um, Amazing. I mean, they're all over the arena. There's a really great table spot where, um, where Jackie is laying on top of Kevin Sullivan on a table and Benoit jumps off the top rope and crashes both of them in the table. It doesn't break. It just kills both of them, and I, and I laughed out loud at that. But there, there's a match. I for, am the table. Yeah, there, there's a th- speaking of fall brawl. Yeah. There's a uh, a fall brawl '94 loser leaves town match between him and Cactus Jack. I mean, look, man, Kevin Sullivan throws Cactus Jack off the top rope to a cement floor where the where the the padding is removed, and then goes over and picks him up and body slams him on top of it again, which was unbelievable. And then later on. Cactus Jack tries to pile drive him on the cement and, and Kevin Sullivan backdrops him onto the cement. 
And I'm just sitting here like, what the hell are we doing right now with this? Um, there, the match I really want to bring up, this is unbelievable. I watched this last night for the first time, I think, ever. Um, Starcade 94, Kevin Sullivan versus Mr. T. Mr. T is wearing a referee outfit for some reason and like an old-timey nightcap that is also striped like a referee shirt, right? I have no idea why that is. Like um, like like Ebenezer Scrooge. Like Ebenezer Scrooge. I love it. And like, dude, I love it's, it. It's, it's, it certainly helps financially to be friends with the Hulkster. At that that, point that's, life, a, that's, how, that's how I like to picture my, <laughs> my Mr. T, is dressed like Ebenezer I mean, Scrooge about to meet the spirits. Dude, <laughs> at one point, Mr. T is on the outside of the ring just laying on top of the cameraman for no reason. And the cameraman is just on his back holding the camera. And it's just, it's just unbelievable. It's, it, I laughed out loud when I saw that. Um, there's, a, there's a part in that match where um, they're fighting on the outside. Kevin Sullivan leans back to hit Mr. T. And a fan in the front row grabs his hand to stop, to stop him from hitting Mr. T. And, I, dude, I popped to the freaking moon. And then Mr. T wins that match when Santa Claus interferes. And I'm not going to give you any more details than that. Santa Claus interfered in the match, and that was that. Was it. Wow. But I would also what a say about that, about that show, about that Starcade 94, um, that show opens with Duggan and Vader. And also on that card, um, Alex Wrong in Triple H. Wow. Dude. So I want to do one thing before we move on. I want to I want to have a shout out to Leia Meow, who it, it's a perfect segue into our next number on this because she worked in ECW. But to to fact check my own thoughts earlier, he was indeed with one of the Steiners in. Uh, in the varsity club when he first came to JCP. So he was working with, uh, where's that here? With Rotunda and Rick Steiner. So it was at the beginning of Rick Steiner in JCP around 87 or so. And then they reformed it. And this is how I knew it because I watched an episode of WCW later, later run WCW when they reformed it with Leia Meow, AKA Kimono Wanalea which is potentially one of the greatest names ever in ECW history. So wanted to fact check myself. I knew I was right about that in some capacity. No, no. And, 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 and I saw that. And here was the thing is the thing with me, me with early WCW late JCP, I wasn't watching it. Right. I, I, I didn't see it. I, I, I didn't know. And so my earliest WCW was um, Saturday night and uh, then I would buy the NWA WCW tapes on pay-per-view. Um, and so the earliest ones that I could remember had the Steiner brothers. And the only reason that I knew that Rotunda was a varsity club person was that I would listen to the observer shows where they would review the old NWA uh, shows. And I remembered Rotunda and I, when you said that, and the more that I thought about it, I, I Steiner was certain because Steiner was in first. Scott wasn't. Scott wasn't there. Rick was there first, and Rick was supposed to be the big guy. And then Scott ended up having, coming in and having all the charisma. Um, so yes. So 
you know, we, we, uh, you know, one hand washes the other, both hands wash the face. There you go. That's Please right. go and watch Super Bowl 96, Pillman versus Sullivan, Pillman's last match in WCW. Uh, this is the beginning of the loose cannon angle. It's an I quit match. Instead of I quit, it's a respect you match. Um, and Pillman picks up the microphone and says, I respect you, Booker man, which completely breaks kayfabe, enters into the fourth wall, all that other stuff. Um, iconic moment in wrestling history. So if you don't know, now you do. Check out Pillman versus Sullivan Super Bowl 96. All right, so coming in at number 96 with 51 points, we got Shane Douglas. He came in at number 87 on Andretti's list and number 65 on JC's list. So we'll let uh, let uh, Andretti take it away on uh, old Shane Douglas. Boy, I can't I can't say enough good stuff about Shane Douglas. He's he is one of my favorite guys of all time, and I'm really glad that somebody else voted for him too, and that we could get him in here on points, man. I mean, all time favorite of mine, man. He, he's a big Pittsburgh guy. Um, I'm I'm from you know pretty close to Pittsburgh. We got to all stick together, man. But my memories of high school are somewhat tied to him because um, of going to all those ECW shows with with a lot of my friends, and we would just travel around on weekends. And I remember that was the first. Uh, first car I ever had and we would go to the Jaffa mosque in Altoona and we would, you know, go to the, the ice gardens and Ross Traver and we would just drive around and go to these ECW shows, man. And I just, I've always really loved uh, Shane Douglas so much. Um, you know, like I said, man, big Pittsburgh guy. Can't, can't hate him on him for that. Um, you know, the dudes with attitudes were insane, you know, <laughs> they were coming out with skateboards and whatnot. It's an insane gimmick, but it was wonderful for the time. Wonderful for what it was. Um, Dean Douglas was a perfect gimmick for the time um, in the WWF. I, and I, I kind of wish it would have went a little bit farther with it, with, uh, with that and with his WWF run. I mean, Douglas was a guy, um, he was, he was in his own way um, probably more often than not um, a guy that had an unbelievable amount of talent. Uh, the talent was always there. Um, people still to this day, I think still tend to overlook it a little bit. Um, cause he's kind of made enemies over the years. Um, it, it is different, his different travels around the, uh, around the wrestling, uh, the wrestling globe. Um, the triple threat was one of my favorite factions of all time with Candido and with, um, Bam Bam Bigelow. You guys know I'm a big, uh, a big Bam Bam Bigelow fan. I'm going, I'm actually going as Bam Bam for Halloween, believe it or not. Um, but I have a, um, I got a Shane Douglas shirt, a franchise shirt to this day, man. I wear it all the time. People always talk to me whenever I'm wearing that shirt. They they give me a shout out and we, we start talking about Douglas a little bit. I mean, look, man, the guy's a big founding father and even the face of a major industry changing promotion um, in ECW. He was a perfect fit at that time to give wrestling credibility to an upstart extreme promotion. And for him having such a chip on his shoulder with how things have ended at other promotions for him and him having so much talent, um, just an unbelievable guy that did a perfect, a perfect match at the perfect time with him in ECW, man. And those some going back and some of the watching some of those matches was so much fun. Um, him coming out to perfect strangers by deep purple. One of my favorite entrance themes of all time. And I can't, I can't say enough good stuff about Shane Douglas. Yeah, and I had him on there as well. Uh, shout out to him for also being a, a good education man. Uh, he was a teacher before he uh, was a wrestler. 
Um, but just kind of being one of those foundational guys, jack of all trades in ECW, being the guy to carry the water more often than not. Um, and, you know, working with everybody uh, in that promotion and, and um, having the high profile stuff. That's kind of why I, ha I had him on there. I felt like he was an underrated, a lot of what um, Andretti said there. Uh, I echo a lot of those sentiments. And he's still working today a little bit. Um, he, within the last, I don't know, maybe six months, was he tagged with um, Brian Myers from Major Wrestling Figure Pod. Um, so he's out there still working a little bit. He's hitting conventions and stuff. Go support him. Um, and, you know, he just, and he also has one of those iconic scratchy voices that you hear it and it's like, you know, that guy. And he's, he's iconic. He had the action figures. He had that late WCW run. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of all that rolled into one, a lot of what uh, Andretti said. I mean, he's a pretty decorated guy, too. I mean, going through the list of accomplishments for Douglas, um, you know, four-time ECW world champ, four-time EC, actually two-time ECW um, world TV champ. He was the world heavyweight champ of the NWA, um, won the MLW championship at one point. And looking at some of the WCW stuff, like you said, I mean, the hardcore title, I don't even know if it's even worth mentioning that, but the WCW US heavyweight. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The e the WCW heavyweight or uh, uh, hardcore title is one of the most prestigious prizes in the game. Shout out to Hot Shots Wrestling. We are getting love that sucker <laughs> over. So he was uh, Randy Orton, US WCW US heavyweight champ one time. He was tag team champions with Steamboat. I think people kind of forget that because that was before. That was before um, he was, uh, you know, after the, uh, the the Dudes with Attitudes era, you know, whenever he was with Steamboat in, that, in a really good tag team. He won the tag titles with Buff Bagwell at 1.2, um, NWA World Tag Team Champs, you know, stuff like that. Um, but the, um, the thing, too, about Douglas, um, you know, there's, there's three matches that I thought were – pretty good to go back and check out if you're interested in, in checking out some some douglas stuff um the sabu terry funk 1994 the night the line was crossed 60 minute draw okay now look i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you that now it's a draw i don't want to i don't want you to you know spend an hour watching a match if, if and then be disappointed so i'm just gonna tell you that up front weird very weird match a lot of people get involved a lot of shenanigans um the ta the, the match at guilty is charged 99 with taz is awesome they're fighting all over the place um when they were actually in the ring together man and there were no shenanigans going on that match was just excellent you get to see taz in his prime i mean just phenomenal and then the um it, believe it or not he had a really good match with with none other than rick flair who's pretty good so so uh, slambery uh, slambery 2000 rick flair um you know I, I don't remember at that point if the two of them had real heat or not I know that I know that Douglas felt very slighted by Flair years before that and had a big chip on his shoulder. Um, I love the I love the Shane Douglas gear here in this match, man, when he's wearing like the zigzag pattern um, on his on his trunks with the with the Pittsburgh colors. You know, in classic WCW fashion, you know, nothing can be a, a clear finish. And some asshole in a sting mask has to run in and hit Flair. It's not even Sting. 
And I didn't even stick around to see who it was because I don't care. <laughs> but the uh, the match at that point was really good. And I just was glad to see uh, Douglas in, in another another major promotion at that point, you know, even though WCW wasn't what it should have been, you know, it was still good to see him out there on TV and the stuff he did with Tori Wilson was excellent too around that time. So, you know, big shout out to Shane Douglas, man. I I'm, I'm glad to hear he's still working and still doing his thing. All right. And number 95 with 56 points, Tomohiro Ishii comes in on Mongoose's list at 45. 45 bay bay and the reason why is that i had 43 wrestling observer excuse me i had 42 wrestling observer hall of famers um but i put reigns and osprey ahead of him because they are surefire first ballot observer hall of famers um tomohiro ishii is the best wrestler that in the world that is not in the observer hall of fame that is eligible and if he does not make it, it is an actual shame. It's more of a shame if Ishii doesn't make it than Edge, than Randy Orton, than CM Punk. And let me tell you why. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, I never heard of uh, until uh, about 2017. I was, 2017 was the year that I heard about the Omega and Okada match from Wrestle Kingdom. Watch that on Daily Motion or whatever, uh, a couple of weeks after it happened. And I really liked that dude that dressed like the Terminator, right? Um, I didn't realize that he was in the ring with a guy that is literally top five of all time. But, you know, at that time, I was like, this dude, the Terminator getup is really cool. Uh, so I started to follow what they were doing. And that led me to watch a little bit of Ring of Honor television. And at that time, uh, Axis, I believe it was, was the channel that was playing the um, G1 in the USA, the first ever time that New Japan came to the United States uh, in early Japan 2017. And um, there was a, a little tournament for the new um, IWGP US Championship. And Kenny Omega beat this guy named Tomohiro Ishii for the championship. And to be honest, in my eyes, I was watching, you know, Shawn Michaels versus Dean Douglas, right? So you guys just talked about, about uh, Shane, Shane Douglas there. But, you know, like just the star versus the guy he's supposed to beat. That was what I was seeing. Um, and so I didn't know Tomohiro Ishii. I was just like, okay, Japanese guy in the Japanese promotion, whatever. Uh I was watching along then, and then the next year's G1, um, I watched that. That was the most watched G1 that I've seen as, as in terms of match volume. And Kenny versus Ishii, I turned on my laptop in the middle of the evening one day and started to watch. And I literally was slapping my dining room table like halfway through with near falls and stuff. Um, the, these guys laying it into each other, uh, V triggers and brain busters and forearms and everything else. And at that moment, I said to myself, well, if I ever have a son, which spoiler alert, I did not, nor will I, uh, he will be named Tomohiro Shii Mongoose. Okay. <laughs> because this dude, this dude was killer. 
Kenny was Kenny was unbeaten in the in in the G one. He did lose to um, his first loss, I believe. It, it was either this one or it was to uh, Yano because Yano tied him up in tape or whatever. Um, but this was one that like would have cemented him in the block, and he lost to Ishii, and it was just it was so good, man. It, it's a five star plus match. It deserves all of them and maybe more. Um, I actually had written down here, uh, G1 Omega 2018, 76 stars. So I did give it a little bit more than five. Um, it's, 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 it's so good. And my favorite thing about Ishii is that he will have matches with Will Ospreay that aren't Ishii matches, meaning that like he can literally fly around if he needs to. And he can then have matches with um, somebody that's like uh, uh, like Master Watto or something that turn into like brutal slugfests. Like he can absolutely mold himself to whoever it is that he's wrestling, which is like it's it's up here. Um, if you want to talk about like consistent four star match quality, there's nobody better than him. Uh, well, there's a couple. I should say there's a couple people better than him, but he's up there. Uh, over the last seven years. Um, and the best thing about Ishii is that he's like five foot six and he walks around like he's six foot eight. You know what I mean? He presents himself like he's feet taller than he is and that he's feet wider than he is. And that's presence, man. It's one thing to be, you know, fueled up with gas and, and you can't even move or whatever and not be able to work. And it's another thing to... Be a small guy that is so impressive in what you do physically that people think you're way bigger than you are. So I, I, I that's I to to me, dude. He's he's awesome. So bless the child, brother. Like my time, I said that, but he he deserves it. Yeah, I had um I had some notes here too on on Ishii. Um, I I don't think people realize like you were saying how many great matches. This dude has had even even in just a short term recently. Um, I know one of your like you said one of your favorite matches of all time, if not your favorite, was him and him and Omega. I went back and watched three matches of him just recently, and all three of them were from this year's G One from two thousand twenty three. That Kingston match is just you. That Kingston Dude, match so, is insane. It's, it's, it's that is, I mean, the, 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 the Hanari match is great. The Finley match. I mean. As 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 a tough and respected guy, man, that guy did a really good job making Finley look great. Um, I did not have Ishii in my own top 100, but I, I wanted to say that I think that history is going to be really favorable to him when it's all said and done. He's going to be a guy that people are going to look back. They're going to think is going to be just fantastic. And I I I wanted to say too, um, real quick that when you think about the perfect example of kind of what a professional wrestler really is. I don't know if I can think of a better example than, than Ishii. When you, of, of, a, of a professional wrestler, who's better? Who's a better example than that guy, man? For all the, for all the things that what you said, um, it's just so physical and good at presenting himself as a real threat to win, even though he doesn't win really all that much. Um, it, awesome. Just awesome. Ishii is better Scott Hall. Like he's better Scott Hall. And meaning that Scott Hall is everybody's person 
how did this guy ever win a world title? Blah, blah, blah. That, that's Ishii. His matches are better. His, uh, his presentation, just in terms of a physical presence, is better. Character isn't better, quote unquote, than Scott Hall, because Scott Hall is iconic characters. Um, but uh, he, to me, he's better working Scott Hall because Scott Hall was able to put together, uh, you know, he had a five star match with Michaels. Um, but then, you know, he was, he was a consistent good match guy, right? Like you're never going to see a bad Razor Ramon match or a bad Scott Hall match until like whatever, 1998. Um, but the thing with the Shee is, is he's still cranking out four star matches uh, and the dude's 50 years old. That's the other thing is that he's doing all of this and he's very not young. Um, and there's, there's, there should be a lot to be said for that. So even though, you know, his, his timeline isn't the same with the boom period of wrestling, what he's doing at the level he's doing at the age he's doing it um, for as long as he's been doing it is incredible, man. And so, yeah, I'm, now I'm, I'm happier here Tomohiro. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think over the wars that he's had over the years with, with just Suzuki. I mean, it feels like those yeah, guys. Yeah, the Suzuki matches. Those Suzuki matches, man. I mean, dude, they could be on every card, and I would watch every one of them. If, if they if they were on every single card, I would watch them. You know, but they, yep. looking, looking kind of at his accomplishments, I mean, that guy was best brawler in the Observer Newsletter six years in a row. He was best brawler. Best brawler of the decade, of the 2010s. Um, you know, IWGP tag team champion with, 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 uh, Yano one time, never open weight champion six times, never open weight six, uh, six man tags three times. Um, it, uh, what, what else can you say, man? I mean, there's, there's great matches every time he gets in the ring. Well, and that's how good you are is when, when you can when you put like tag him with Yano. You know what I mean? Cause dude, Yano is the biggest gimmick that there is. Um, and the fact that you're able to say this guy is such a good worker that we can put him with somebody that only just ties people with uh, masking tape to the uh, to the ring post, um, you know, the whole time, uh, and, and we can make them a viable tag team. That that's the she, you know, that's it. So yeah, he's he's great. He's so great. So I I hope I hope that when when we redo this list, we revise this list rather, whenever we revise this list. Um, may you be a couple of spots higher, Tomohiro, because you deserve it, brother. Absolutely. All right, and coming in at number 94 with 57 points, we have Matt Hardy. And JC had him on his list at 100, and I had him on my list at 45. So the, the reason that I had Matt Hardy so high on my list was – because it was he was becoming a single star. He was transitioning out of the tag team division and he was transitioning into his singles run as I was like at the peak of my fandom. And everything that Matt Hardy was doing with the Matt Hardy version one, that is one of my top five. I feel like that's a top 10 gimmick for me. The the all of the little nuggets that they used to leave with the Matt facts on the lower thirds and everything. They're so good. And then you get it transitions into his feud with edge after, you know, Lita cheated on him with edge. And then that spilled over into real life. Um, that, that feud is so iconic. Everyone talks about that. The, tri the, the love triangle feud. It's so good. And then, you know, just 
the another reason that I had Matt Hardy is for everything that he did post WWE too. Whenever he was in TNA, they got really weird with that broken gimmick. And that broken gimmick is something that is like it's legendary at this point. They're like, yes. And like the the cinematic matches, that that full character arc that he kind of created fully on his own that only somebody like Matt Hardy can do is fantastic. And, you know, he eventually comes back to WWE with Jeff and then, you know, they do the tags again. And now he's been in AEW where he's still doing single stuff. Now, granted, it's not the greatest of work. I will be right up front with you on that. It's not the greatest work, but brother's still out there making towns, putting in the time. And, you know, I, I just, I love Matt Hardy. I feel like he is the forgotten brother that, you know, sh- should, d- that deserves to get his flowers. And I always felt that, you know, Jeff was the high flying, you know, flashy one of the bunch, but Matt was the technical wrestler behind it all that he was, he was the, the one that made the sausage at the end of the day. So um, that's that's one of the that's pretty much why I have Matt so high on my list. I love Matt. Um, but yeah, so I don't know what you got for uh, Matt JC, but uh, takes away. So to me, his his biggest impact is the innovation. Yeah, right. Um, he's he was the brains behind the Hardys. You know, he was he was more of the mind of what's going on in the match than Jeff might have been. Um, but if you look at his own, you know, singles runs, he's always been, you know, well-respected. Um, and so I'm just looking here at some of the titles. First of all, he's a Maryland Championship Wrestling alum. Yeah. So, big shout out to Maryland Championship Wrestling and their one-time heavyweight champion, Matt Hardy. Um, but he's had... He also owned his own promotion it, at one point, too. Like, let's not forget about that. Yeah. And, uh, like... Again, it's WWE CW, but he was the ECW heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he had some mid-card belts and things like that. He had a good run in TNA twice as the world heavyweight champion. Um, you know, so, but I think, honestly, the biggest thing is is the, the cinematic stuff is where I think of him. I mean, obviously, it's a, I, we're not talking about tag teams because that's a different stratosphere for him and Jeff, but um as a singles guy i think a lot about that and i think about when he came into aew i mean his introduction into aew he was it was the pandemic but he was brought in as a big mm-hmm. right and he was thrust into at the time while they didn't have a lot of storylines because they didn't have a lot of people but he was brought in as you know with the highest level storyline uh he was brought in at the same time as brody uh, that sort of stuff. So, and and I think now, more than anything, he's giving back. He's he's helping out the young guys. When you see him, he's out with the young guys. He's working in the back with them. Um, that sort of thing. So I I and I, to me, he's not one of those guys who's solely based on in ring because I mean he's not the greatest worker in. But you look at the mind of Matt Hardy and what he's accomplished and what he's been able to put out there that's creative and innovative and the overall legacy and impact that he'll have. That's why he made my top one. 
the one thing I wanted to say about the tag, I know we're not really talking about tag teams, but I want to say one thing is just a testament to him. Um, those guys literally started out as small vanilla jobbers in that tag team scene on like Saturday mornings and would get annihilated and they wowed themselves into a career by just showing how much they had innovation wise and just being so creative. I mean, you got to give them a lot of credit for that, man. Cause they, they kind of broke, they kind of broke the mold at that point coming in as a tag team. So the, uh, the, the one match, the one match I had um, written down was the, um, the Slammiversary 2016 match, which is on YouTube. Um, it's him versus him versus brother, him versus Jeff. Um, you know, it's it's two brothers that are out there loving what they're doing, killing each other, big bumps, ladders and tables, everything you'd expect. So if you're looking for a, a singles match to check out, the Slammiversary 2016 uh, versus Jeff is on YouTube. And, and for me, um, I actually think to piggyback off of what JC said before, you know, the one thing that sort of got in the way with him um, being a a pseudo Jericho in that you are this big name that's there to elevate everybody else um, was that Sammy Guevara feud. Man, nobody wanted to lose to Sammy Guevara more than Matt Hardy. That was all that he wanted to do. He would get on the microphone and say, Sammy, you're so good, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, you know, Sammy knocked him out cold as ice. And and then, you know, Reeby lost her mind on uh, on social media when that happened. And then he got another concussion, right? Was it or was it was it two concussions and two Sammy matches? Yeah, and and like and so that was just so snake. But I and I just really felt terrible because, just like JC meant JC said, man, is that he came in and he was with the elite in that stadium stampede match versus the inner circle which was the biggest feud that that company had in that match in 20 that's the best match of 2020 i know that there's better wrestling matches but that match for what it was in the time frame that it was filmed and everything else um you know i watched that match with bricks malone and slovak abushi and slovak abushi watches no wrestling and we were high-fiving each other and laughing and everything for 45 minutes and then I showed that to my father-in-law and he we were high-fiving each other just like that match was so perfect um and they they picked Matt Hardy for that for a specific reason like when he was going into the dunk tank and coming out as different iterations of himself like that stuff's so good man it really is and then what ended up happening was I think that he sort of you know got his legs cut off from under him when Every time that he wrestled Sammy Guevara, he would get absolutely injured. And I think that for his own good that they were like, Matt, like we can't put you in high profile places because we want you to see 60. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that was where that came from. And it stinks for him because, you know, then he's, he was in a much more reserved role. Um, but just be ready for Hardy's versus Edge and Christian. Um, probably sometime around, uh, yeah, sometime around, uh, the New Year's Revolution show or whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. Hope so. Hope so. The last thing I'll say about Hardy before we move on is he, because of his ideas and innovations, especially with the cinematic match, and you guys will appreciate this, he's the reason The Undertaker finally retired. He did, because of his matches and his ideas, they finally found a way to put a nice bow on Taker and end it. 
So we should all give Matt Hardy a big round of applause for uh, retiring the Undertaker. I know you guys don't like him. So. Taker's over huge in this house, man. Uh, well, we we love Taker. <laughs> all right. So not number ninety-three coming in with fifty-eight points. Damn. We got Ron Simmons, and he was also. Damn. He was also on JC and I's list. Uh, he came in at JC's list at number 65. He came in at my list at number 79. And obviously, when you think of Ron Simmons, you think of APA. Um, but I, I just felt that uh, Ron Simmons, the things that he did in WCW and becoming the WCW World Heavyweight Champion in the early 90s, I just feel like that is just something that was not he's a trailblazer that's just something that was not done and for him to be able to get that world title and then you know have all of this longevity within the business now he in WWE he was a, a career tag guy but i just felt that he had to be a part of the list as he when he needed to be recognized for that world heavyweight championship uh, win. Hey, Kat, I would I would say one thing. He wasn't a, a, a tag team when he was the head of the Nation of Domination because he did headline a pay per view with the Undertaker at that. Correct. Point. So yeah, and and that's what I that was another thing I wanted to say. Like his his work that he did in the Nation of Domination, it, that it, it was a group, and he wasn't always working tags there. But he was. I mean, you're correct. He was working as in that main event scene for a little bit with Undertaker, and and it was all really good stuff. Like he was just really good in the ring. He was credible. Um, I mean, he played at Florida State. Like he's very decorated athlete, and I just uh, that's he he has to make the list alone on all of those things. He was he was the he was the hands down leader in a group that had the Rock in it. You know, like that, 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 yes. that is something to be commended is that he was, he was the guy that was like, and I remember, you know, being a fan then that like, I knew the rock was his subordinate. Right. And so to see what the rock became, like, it's pretty cool. Um, My God, that helmet that he wore though, first, uh, whenever he came out with Sonny hey, was a disaster. Speaking of, the, speaking of the rock real quick, was that, was that the rock's first major feud? I mean, outside of the nation domination, because did they kind of use Farouk to to get Rock over? Was that the feud? It, or was there no, something it else? Was, it that? was because it was the Rock and Triple H, and then after that, the dissension yes. came with Rock and Simmons. But then that was where Russo uh, booked himself into thirty years of fame, where he booked that Survivor Series where the Rock did his turn, because that was the Rock's babyface night until he joined Vince McMahon because the rock had turned on Farouk uh, or Ron Simmons or whomever. Um, I guess it was Farouk because it was the nation. So the rock had turned on Farouk and oh my gosh, the people love him. And then, Oh dude, you know, he screws over uh, Foley and you know, now he's the, he's the corporate champion or whatever. Um, and then all Russo did was turn that into a show about curing racism we are the nation, the domination. Bless you, Vince. Yeah, that was, I, I, I really wanted to, with this highlight, like uh, John said, the idea that he was the first 
uh, black world champion on, on such a high profile stage. Um, I think that really says something about him as a human um, and him as someone that they could, you know, put that on and give that distinction to. He was, um, by all accounts, he was always a very loyal and very hardworking guy. He didn't always, you know, didn't need to be flashy, didn't always need to see it. But um, I think that cultural impact alone, if we put Matt Hardy for his innovations and his cultural impact and uh, that sort of thing, I think Ron can go in there as well. Um, but yeah, just to piggyback off that helmet is rough. Farouk Assad. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Russell crap in the best way. But I'll tell you what, man, that WCW glued figure. So what we did when I was kids, for, when I was kids, my gosh, hey, English, right? Um, when we were kids, uh, what we would do is because every WCW figure came with its own title belt, we would write with a pen what the championship was on the inside of it. So mm -hmm. if it was your U.S. champion, your intercontinental champion, tag champion, whatever, um, and Ron Simmons in those blue capri pants, man, that's a great figure. And Ron Simmons had himself a couple of runs with our mid-card belts. Ron would he would he never cracked the main event. Sorry, Ron, you might have done it in WCW. You wasn't doing it in my Fed. Um, I, I'd take her running the show and Marty Jannetty and stuff at that time. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, that 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 galoob with the blue capri pants is a pretty iconic figure and i know that this isn't a tag team thing but doom is so great oh is doom so mm -hmm. great shouts shouts bricks malone this is yeah bricks, bricks malone was born for doom yeah that um that i believe whenever bill watts came into wcw he it was one of his top priorities right was the was to flip that belt from vader to, to simmons um the only weird thing about that is that they did it on that main event it was a main event it was wcw main event uh, August the 2nd, 1992. It's on YouTube. It is a very good match. It is the right length. It's about 11 minutes. Um, man, that place goes nuts whenever he wins that belt, man. I mean, it was, it's, it's one of my favorite things in wrestling when all, when all the baby faces come out to celebrate whenever a baby face wins the belt and, and everybody storms the ring, the people are going nuts. I don't think, I don't think that they drew well after that, um, with him on top as champ. And I think that kind of, for look, man, I don't know why it, I don't know why that stuck with him a little bit. It, I don't. It's never really just that person's fault when that happens. Um, but it kind of. I think that kind of stuck with him a little bit. The fact that he was on top and didn't draw super well as champ. But go check that match out, man. Um, that that Vader match, WCW main event, August second, nineteen ninety two. It's on YouTube. Like I said, um, the Undertaker King of the Ring ninety seven is a pretty good match. It's accessible. I want to say because it's accessible in Peacock. Um, I remember thinking at the time that they might actually flip that belt. And I, and I was even kind of, I was even kind of hoping for it um, at that point that they, you know, whenever Farouk was at the head of the nation domination, I thought, I thought maybe they were going to flip that, w, that WWF belt to him as well. Um, but I remember being at, at Liberty Park um, swimming pool, you know, neighborhood swimming pool when I was a kid and someone telling me that Ron Simmons became the world champ. And I, and I specifically remember, I, I thought that was good but I remember thinking, wow, he must be better than I thought he was. 
and and I was I was surprised by it, but it, but in a good way. Like good for him, man. I really like that guy. Like I'm really happy that he that he won the belt. So I remember being you know uh, uh, almost 12 years old whenever that happened, and, and it being a pretty cool moment. And my my thing with Ron Simmons is that when I was really watching was after he won, and so I only ever saw him introduced as former world champion. Do you know what I mean? And so. Um, he had instant credibility with me. You know, like that was what was wild is that like, I didn't see doom and stuff until later. Uh, and so when I'm watching Saturday night or whatever, and he's coming out for, you know, his match versus whatever ice train, uh, he's being introduced as former world champion, Ron Simmons. And they said every time they would say it, and I do give him a lot of credit for this. They would say beat big Van Vader for the belt because at that time Vader was unstoppable. And that was, that's, I think that, I think that's something that's sort of missed a mm. little bit in today's commentary is to note who, if they don't still have the belt, note who they beat for the belt. I think that that's a really important thing. Um, and not do it in the way where it's, you know, Michael Cole saying, and he beat the Miz and he beat the Bubba and he beat the Bubba. And he beat the Bubba. And then the Bubba. Like, if, if you can give this seminal win over this important person, that sticks way more, you know? So the next time that, you know, Jey Uso wrestles a singles match, when they say this is the last man to pin Roman Reigns, that matters. And that was what happened with Simmons and Vader, was that they put that over that, like, this guy this guy beat Vader for the title, you know, and, and that gave him credibility throughout his entire WCW run. And then when he came to the WWF, he had it with me, except that that helmet was so terrible. You know, he even had Sonny, but he had that helmet. Oh, shoot. I'd wear that helmet tomorrow, by the way. I, I'm just saying it wasn't a good look for a guy in 1996. Yeah. I've seen yeah. you wear that helmet. Yeah. Was that was that helmet was that helmet always blue or I seem to remember a silver version of that helmet too. Yeah, I only remember blue. Uh maybe it turned silver once the paint wore off. <laughs> Me too, but I'm on it. Uh nope, I got a blue and a silver helmet. Absolutely a blue absolutely a silver helmet right here standing next to Sunny. Uh, silver as silver can be, man. Shockmaster silver. Speaking of iconic helmets that we need to do a show on. <laughs> top one, top 100 <laughs> iconic helmets by wrestlers. <laughs> Dude, there is a, there is a Farouk. The, the Farouk figure has a silver helmet. The Elite 90, 98 figure has oh a silver God. helmet. $13.99 on ringside. You know what's good about the bone cruncher, the Farouk bone cruncher? It's got, it's got both its arms out in front, like a like a boxer, so you can just swing the hips, and he just keeps throwing body blows. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, for Christmas, um, I don't know, maybe it was whatever year it was, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I gave Bricks Malone the entire nation of domination as the uh, bone cruncher's. With Clarence, Clarence Mason was included. With yep, with Clarence. All right, moving on to number ninety-two, coming in with fifty-eight points. We have Kofi Kingston. He came in on Andretti's list at number sixty-eight, 
And he came in on JC's list at number 76. So Andretti, take it away. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that he made it. Um what an incredible athlete, man. I, I wish they wouldn't have saddled him right out the gate with that fake accent. Um, but he's a really decorated guy. And, and, you know, I don't know if people realize how decorated um, Kingston Kingston really is, even as a um, even as a singles guy. You know, when you go back and take a look at this um, Wrestling Observer best gimmick of, of 2015, which is really great. I mean, that was with the New Day, of course. But when he was, uh, you know, WWE, he's WWE champion. He's he's four time intercontinental champion, um, you know, three time U.S. champ. Um, tag team smack, you know, tag team with, uh, with the new day a million times. Of course, we all know that, um, NXT tag champs, all these things, man. I mean, this guy, this guy is just, he's one of the top athletes that they've definitely had over probably the last 25 years. Um, and I know sometimes the, um, the Royal rumble hijinks, um, I think kind of whip people's ass a little bit, you know, with, with doing the chair spots where he's jumping out of the chair and not really being eliminated. But for me, I, I actually think it's I think it's kind of it's kind of cool to see that and to see somebody do something that's a little bit outside the norm um, of the um, of the Royal Rumble. Um, I was a little concerned he wasn't going to get in to top 100. I'm very glad that he did. Um, I think they kind of did him dirty on that um, the WWE um, championship, um, the end of that belt. When he when he finally beat um, Daniel Bryan, it was a big moment, um, and it was awesome to see that. Um, and then I think they kind of did him a little dirty on the uh, on the on the outbound whenever he finally he finally dropped it. Yeah, again, I think um, the body of work, even as a single start, excluding the um, tag stuff. You can put him in there. I mean, we didn't we didn't talk about it yet, but he's a he's a Grand Slam champion. I mean that that doesn't happen, you know, if you're you know average. Um, and I remember even not really being super interested in the WWE product at the time, but knowing that Kofi was champion and being interested in that. I think there's something to be said for there being, <clears throat> you know, someone who exudes positivity and happiness. Um, as a draw i mean it would you see different guys who have different gimmicks and that sort of stuff but there's something magnetic about him as a performer um and then again sort of like with ron simmons you have that extra bonus layer where he's um an african-american champion and he can uh be a model for other people on top of being a top tier athlete and a triple crown winner and just a consistent performer, you know, whenever, whatever he's asked to do. So um, that was sort of where I put it, put him in there for that. Um, and yeah, man, I, uh, I'm a little bit newer of a fan than um, some of the other guys, but he, he really sticks out even that ruthless aggression run. Um, so yeah, I was consistent, consistency uh, with that, I think is a lot of it too. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we want to get too into the weeds with the tag team stuff, but he's I, I want to say this solely for this reason. Um, when you talk about the top WWE tag team of all time, it's gotta be either them or the Usos, right? I mean, New Day is so decorated and so beloved and sold so much merch. I mean, you I, I would almost say that they're probably ahead of the Usos at that point. I, you can't argue that would be the reason that that would be the reason that I didn't include Kofi is that even with Kofi Mania, 
I felt like Kofi Mania was a product strictly of the New Day. Do you know what I mean? And and that that was why that was why I didn't have him personally. I I'm not saying he doesn't belong on the list because look, man, he's great. Um, but you, just what you said, them being such an iconic and th- th- that the New Day is going to be something they talk about for years and years and years and years. And so for me, Kofi's a New Day guy that got hot because, you know, like he would have stumbled himself into a run, um, had a hot match or two, and then there we go. Um, and the fact that, you know, they had Brock beat him in eight seconds on the show that had 5 million viewers and the debut SmackDown shows what they thought of him. But uh, that's another story for another, that's another well, story for another time. Right, right. Yeah, that's a shame. Thanks, man. Um, there was a um, there, there's a really good uh, uh, Raw match from uh, May 31st, 2021, uh, with McIntyre. That if you're if you're looking to check out a singles match, obviously the match the, the WrestleMania match with, with it, you know Mania 35 with Daniel Bryan is obviously great, you know 2019. But if you're looking for something to check out this weekend, it's not super long. Um, the Drew McIntyre Raw match, you know May 31st, 2021, um, really good match, man. That's as good of a Raw match as you're possibly going to find. Um, that was with the with the fans on the screens, and I believe it or not, I actually kind of forgot about that already at this point. Um, those are memories I probably don't want to remember anymore mm-hmm. of that of that you know the the COVID era. But like you know, man, go back watch that match. It's him and McIntyre tore the house down on Raw, and it was a really fun match. All right, and our final entrant of the show coming in at number ninety one with sixty one points. L.A. Park, and he was on Mongoose's list coming in at 39. So we will let the Mongoose take it away. So here's the, the, the reason that I have L.A. Park this high is because, uh, as I had said in my initial disclaimer, if you are Observer Hall of Fame, then you are above everybody else. And the reason why is that uh, you have been vetted by people that know way more than I do. And L.A. Park is one of the people that made that. Um, he, uh, my first memories of L.A. Park were as La Parca in uh, WCW in the late 90s. Um, was he in uh, Revenge? Was he in Revenge or was it the one afterwards? Oh, man, that's a great question. Because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't he, remember he's in one of those games. He's in one of those games and he's great. Um, and so like the, the, to come out and you play the electric or the air guitar on a chair, you're the chairman, um, all that stuff, dude, like such a great gimmick at the time. And you think that he's so slapstick, uh, because of the way that he was sort of presented in that, you know, cruiserweight hour in those nitro days, um, and then you come to find out that uh, he is a you know very very decorated Mexican wrestling you know superstar. He was in a match uh, whenever I was an Honor Club subscriber. Whenever Ring of Honor had the Bucks and all those other guys, um, I heard over and over again that I needed to watch the uh, Triple Mania show. There was a four way with him. Um, with uh, Pentagon, with Psycho Clown, um, and another fella. And uh, 
I'll tell you what, man, it was a masky bloodbath, uh, you know, Spanish commentary the whole way through, like one of those things where, you know, you're just, you're just digging it. You're, you're living in the, uh, the environment and, and, you know, absorbing the, basically the way that it's meant to be um, with the, uh, you know, the homegrown commentary and everything else. Like nothing is made for you. You're, you know, you're sort of, uh, you have your glasses on uh, through the eyes of the other people and I, dude, that was a ball watching that match. Like I was very glad that I did. Um, there was an iconic feud, uh, and I believe that it was with Psycho Clown. And I, if I'm wrong, then I'm very sorry. But I know that there was a big, either mask versus mask or mask versus hair match that LA Park was supposed to have with somebody. Um, and this was going to be like the match of the century. And this was in 2020 or 2021. And so for him to be 15 years past his WCW run and to be able to have that kind of clout, uh, and again, and to make the Observer Hall of Fame, uh, this is where I defer to people that know more than me. And the reason that he is rated so high, again, is that if you were in the Observer Hall of Fame for me, you're above everybody else on my list because those people that vote know better than I. Uh, and so LA Park, you deserve it also. I have an LA Park mask upstairs. Um, I cannot wear Lucha masks. Uh, at first, the first one I wore was a uh, Juice and Thunder Liger mask, actually. Um, scared the bejesus out of my baby mongoose. Um, and so I wasn't allowed to wear that after uh, a picture at Halloween whenever she was uh, a newborn uh, for her first Halloween. Uh, but my La Parca mask is still upstairs, waiting to be worn. Um, if she ever lets me, I will. Uh, I will go in the full skeleton gear uh, for Halloween. Um, this year I will be uh, Mario and uh, she'll be Princess Peach. Uh, so if I ever can get out of dressing like her, I'll be La Parca. So you mean that much to me, LA Park. <laughs> There's actually a fantastic photo of that first all out uh, of myself in the Jushin Liger mask and uh, Chig in the La Parca mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That exists. It's it. No, I, I also, I have two, I have two Lucha masks. I've got an El Santo mask and I've got the, uh, I've got a, a, a LA Park mask too. Yeah. So it's funny, that, uh, it's funny we both have that. I didn't know we both had that. That's awesome. I, I You know, this, the same thing I was saying about Chono earlier. Um, I think a lot of us got into the Lucha style based on those guys coming over to do the WCW run. Yeah whenever the Mexican economy wasn't doing well. Right. And, and, you know, La Parker was one of those guys that came in just an unbelievable costume. So over the top, the guy had a chair, he's playing a chair, like air guitar. He's dancing around like a maniac. He's standing on the chair, doing that crazy dance. He's bashing people over the head with a chair. I mean, that, that was just like so awesome to see that. And that kind of, you know, just like with Chono, that's what kind of got me into wanting to see a lot more of the international product. Um, and I know the I know the belts in uh, the belts in Mexico are not kind of they're really not treated the same way within the promotions as what they are in Japan or in the United States. But but all that said, I mean, L.A. Park still still the Triple A champ. I mean, at one point, man, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal to be the the, the face of the promotion, no matter where you're at, man. And, I, and that's really, really awesome. He's in the Observer Hall of Fame. Um, just such an iconic character. When you think about that late not that late nineties WCW, whenever they were really on fire and that dude's out there just crushing people with chairs. I mean, so it's just so, so fun and so awesome. And everybody got into it so quick. 
Yeah, some some matches that I have here uh, is from November 18th episode of Nitro where he defeated Juventud Guerrera. That got a three and a half stars uh, by Dave. Um, if you want to check out uh, Super Brawl from 97, uh, there was a six-man tag with Conan, Laparca, and Volano 4, and they defeated uh, Ciclope, Juventud Guerrero, and Supercalo in a three in a three-quarter star match. And then on there's another Nitro one. Th- these Nitros, they uh, they're so good. The there's he has a four-star match in a six-person tag on the May 26th episode of Nitro from 1997, where Hector Garza, Juventud Guerrero, and Supercalo face Ciclope, Damien, and Laparca. And so, like, there's they rattled some off. Another one, this got a four and a quarter star, was from the uh, Bash at the Beach 97. That was another six-person tag with Hector Garza, Juventud Guerrero, and Lismark Jr. versus Laparca, Psychosis, and Volano 4. So... All of this stuff from WCW is highly regarded. His sold-out 98 match in an eight-person tag. There's so much good stuff. I will not mention his Super Brawl uh, match versus Disco Inferno because fucked it. <laughs> but I mean, you gave you gave me chills just just mentioning all those people gave me chills because I, re- I I just remember just them those guys flying around all over the place and killing each other on those nitros man what a great what a time to be alive that was man to be a, to be a fan and watching those matches every week like, yeah, and you know what this this era is as much as everybody specifically the host of this podcast complains about AWTV it will be looked at the same way when we look at the random Nick Jackson and uh you know ray phoenix and orange cassidy versus you know, you know what i'm saying like to me we we're seeing the modern iteration of that now um and it's it's really awesome it really is and that's the when when people talk about the nostalgia for wcw that's where AEW does hold up is that your tv delivers these matches that are pay-per-view quality every week and even though the storyline you want to tell me the storyline was super callow la park uh hector garza but there isn't one there's not it doesn't exist but you watch that match and you're going to say wow that was great that's the way that these dynamites are going to be viewed um is that people are going to in 20 years look back and say holy cow wrestling tv then was something wasn't it they are because we see, we do see that every week. Even looking at the stuff that he's done recently, it's just amazing to think that this guy's still going and he's still killing it in the ring. I mean, even even recently, and he looks terrible, yeah, and and he yeah. looks absolutely terrible. He does not look like anybody that should be able to do anything physical without immediately getting an IV and a and a, and a yeah. oxygen mask. Yeah, but that um that Triple Mania show um from a month and a half ago. With him and Adonis, and Sam Adonis is really good, man. That, that's that's Corey Graves' brother. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but it's um it's L.A. Park, Psycho Clown, Roosh, and, and Sam Adonis. You know the the mask versus hair four way got rated really high, um, and then even even before that, the Triple Mania, the Tijuana match from July, um, the same guys only in the tag. And that was a four way match um, at the August show, but in the July show, it was a it was a tag team match. It came, went to a draw, which set up 
the August show, man. So, I mean, you think about highly rated matches this guy has had. And even before that, I mean, the, the, the match was uh, blue demon junior DMT Azul and LA versus LA park and Rouge four and a half star match from April, man. I mean, like we're, we're talking about April, July, August of this year. We're talking about that. And this guy is still having killer matches versus matches that, were, that we were talking about from freaking nitro from 96. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to think about that a guy that has a career that has extended that long and still just so entertaining and so good in the ring and just in there killing it, man. And with that, that is our first entrance into the Podski 100. That is 100 to 91. We got a long ways to go. We will be doing 90 through 81 uh, here shortly. So if you like what we did here, stick around and you'll catch it on all the socials. Uh, you'll check it out wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube as well. Leave a comment. If you like our list so far, if you enjoyed any matches, want to leave any uh, comments, let them below and we'll get to them. And uh, I got to thank Teddy Mongoose, Justin Andretti and JC, the Podski dog for hopping on here and doing this and uh, putting their, putting your list together. This was pretty fun. I can't wait to see uh, what we got for the rest of the list. Awesome, man. That was great. And yeah, thank with you that- guys. No, no, thank you. Mutual appreciation society. And with that, we will see you next time on the Podski.